0: So I'm April, and I've been at Yoshi since the beginning of the year. So the second reading this evening comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 13, which is on page 1248 of your pew Bibles. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Here ends the Bible reading.
1: Okay, so we're going to have our, uh, a look at this passage that was just read out to us. Uh, we'll just get set up. Now, uh, there, were, there were outlines at the door, so if you have one, you can use that. And keep your Bibles open, we'll work through most of this passage. Well, I think I just want to say first off is what a joy it is, isn't it? Uh, joy itself makes my joy complete to see the youth of our church serving us in this way and, and hopefully we'll see more of it. But let, let's now come to God in prayer, asking for his mercy on us as we come to this word. Uh, we ask God for his wisdom to understand it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the youth of this church, and we pray, Lord, that as we consider this text, that it may be a challenge to us in how we live and how we do ministry. We pray, Lord, for humility, we pray, Lord, for your grace, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, I'd like to um, begin today with a question. So I want to I I notice that there are a lot of guests amongst us. Uh, So good to have you amongst us. But, so this question might not be relevant to you, but uh, let's see how it goes. Ask the person next to you how long you have been coming to this church. So let's do that. I'll give you 20 seconds to do that. So how long have you been coming to this church? It might only be 30 minutes, but... Okay, well, let's get back. Now, if we all keep our hands up and put, a, put your hands down if, it's, if it no longer applies. So, who's been at this church for 30 minutes? Yeah, I'm sure we all have, right? Except those who came late. So, uh, who's been here for six months at this church? So, keep your hands up. Six months. One year. Okay, two years. 3 years, 5 years, 10 years, okay, still a few hands up, 15 years, 17 years, so we still have a few, 20 years, (laughs) 20 years, still some there, 25 years, okay, now we're showing our age, right, (laughs) 30 years. So we still have one hand. Is that all? 30 years? 35 years? 40 years? 45? So it was 40 years. John Gooding. But well, Barry Dimolo's not with us this evening. He's been here about 90 years or something like that. <laughs> That's a nice laugh there. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? You know, we've been—many of us have been here uh, a lot of years uh, since I'm sure some of you were born. But I wonder why some of you have come to this church for that long. I mean, some of you are new and you're still coming. Some have been coming here for years. Why have you kept coming to this church? What is it that keeps you coming week in and week out? What is it that gets you sort of stuck at this church? Well, I suspect that there are—there could be many reasons for that. It could be because this is the closest church to where you live. Not for the Joneses, I'm sure, but this might be the closest church to where you live, and so it's convenient. Or it might be for other reasons. could be the architecture. I mean, you look around. It looks like a church. looks like a church, and, and that looks good. I mean, just consider this thing behind me, this. I call it the bridge, but look at the architecture, the, the detail in it, this burning bush. I'm not sure if you're aware, but the burning bush, that's the logo of the Presbyterian church. Yeah, not aware of that? Now you are. Look at look at this amazing structure here. It's like the bridge. I, I, I consider it a bit like the, the bridge on the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> well, there you know the geeks amongst us. <laughs> or it could be because you've just grown up at this church. Uh, this is where you've always gone and this is all you know of church. It, it could be because this is a good place to find a husband and a wife. Some laughs there. Um, uh, Well, some are engaged and some have found their fiancé at this church. So, good thing. Well, it could just be because you have great fellowship at this church. You enjoy the fellowship here. You're loved here. You're cared for. You're shepherded to. And that's why you come. And I hope that's true. I really hope that that's true. But I really hope that the central reason for those who do come to this church... And those who don't, well, I hope you will anyway. I hope you will come to this church. But for those who have been coming to this church for a long time, I hope that the central reason, the heart of the reason, the core of the reason for why you come to this church is because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. You come to this church because this is a church that proclaims the gospel. This is a church that teaches the gospel. This is a church that believes in the gospel. And you come here because of your commitment to the gospel. I really hope that that's the central reason for why you come. I mean, there are all other good things to come to church for, but I really hope that that's the central reason. And so as we consider our passage today, Paul knows that the gospel must be the center of a Christian's life. Paul knows that the gospel is the centre of his life and he wants the gospel to be the centre of Timothy's life. Now, Timothy was like a son to Paul. He was Paul's protege, someone Paul cared for and loved and trained. And so Paul, in this letter, wrote to Timothy, encouraging him, make sure the gospel is the centre of your life, the heart of your life, the core of your life. And so what did Paul say? Well, in this passage, he's quite... Quite simple. Paul makes two exhortations, two challenge, two commands. Firstly, he commands Timothy to be strong, to stand firm in the gospel, to hold fast onto it, to believe it. And that's all we see in verse 1. So if you have a look at verse 1 with me. Paul says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So that's the first challenge to Timothy. Be strong. Hold fast to the gospel. Stand firm in it. And the second challenge, the second exhortation, is this. Timothy, now that you've received the gospel, you must now entrust this gospel, entrust this message of Jesus to reliable men, to teach them so that it will go on from generation to generation. It's like the passing off the baton. We've seen the Olympics recently the relay race you need to pass the baton it's a bit like that passing the baton it's gone from paul to timothy now paul's telling timothy don't keep it with yourself don't let it stop there pass it on and so that they will pass it on as well and this is what we see in verse 2 so verse 2 and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others And so this whole passage really just revolves around these two commands, these two exhortations: Stand firm in the gospel and pass it on. Stand firm, pass it on. Now what Paul goes on to do is he he describes to Timothy, he teaches Timothy the nature of this work, the nature of gospel ministry. And he does this by giving him three quite simple illustrations. Uh, The one about the soldier... One about the athlete and one about the farmer. And so let's consider these three. So Paul tells Timothy, the gospel must be the center of your life. You must hold fast to it, you must pass it on. How does that look like? Well, it looks like being a soldier. A soldier. Timothy was, was, was called to be willing to suffer for the cause of the gospel. To suffer for the cause of the mission. That's what it means to be a good soldier, to suffer for Jesus, who is the commanding officer, to be willing to fight for the cause of the gospel. That's what a soldier does. A a soldier must be focused, undistracted from other things. Now, several weeks ago on TV, I'm not sure if you watch much TV, on ABC, there was a documentary about the SAS soldiers, the special air services, that they're the most elite military personnel we have in Australia. It's a, a elitist group, they're special and they're pretty much the best of the best. Now in this documentary there were 130 candidates who went to try out for the SAS. Now these 130 candidates, well they were the best from the Navy, the Air Force and the Army, they were already the best. But yet they had to try out to get into this exclusive group. And so in this uh, documentary we saw what what made a good soldier? The ones who made it through were the ones who were focused, dedicated, undistracted by other things. They were focused on the mission. And those who made it through, they were told, they were taught, they were commanded. The mission is more important than your life. You have to be willing to die for the mission. Whatever mission you're put on, that's what makes a good soldier. And so of the 130, many of them couldn't couldn't get through the, uh, the assessment. And in the end, only 26 were selected. 130, only 26. They were the best of the best. And so Paul's telling Timothy, this is what you need to be like. Like an SAS soldier. Dedicated, focused on the gospel. This is your life. This is what you're on about. Like a soldier. And if you think about it, it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? To be a good soldier, you have to be dedicated. You have to be focused. You know, A soldier fighting in the trenches... Uh, bullets are flying around his head, the bombs are exploding around him. He's not there in the trench thinking of civilian things. He's not there thinking, Have I done my tax return? And the bullets are flying. He's not there thinking, Did my footy team win? And the bullets are still flying? And he's not thinking, Have I murdered lawn? Bullets are still that's silly, right? That's a silly soldier. He's not a good soldier. And so Timothy is telling, I mean, Paul's telling Timothy. You need to be a good soldier. Focus, undistracted. And so this is what we see in verses 3 and 4. Have a look with me. Paul says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. And that is Jesus. So that's the first illustration. Be a soldier. Be like a soldier. The second one is to be like an athlete. Now, I don't know much about being an athlete. don't know much about exercise. I don't know much about keeping fit or trying to be fit. But I do know that to be a good athlete, you have to be disciplined. You have to be dedicated. You have to train hard. And not only that, when you compete, you have to compete according to the rules. You can't cut corners when you're running the 100-metre race. I'm not sure how you can cut corners there, but some races you can try to cut corners. Like a 400-metre race, you know, just cut across the oval. You can't do that, right? You can't cut corners as an athlete. You have to compete according to the rules and you have to train hard for it. If you don't compete according to the rules, all your hard work is really just worthless. And we've seen this in in the Olympics. I'm not sure if you remember in the Sydney Olympics in 2000, Sydney Olympics, there was a a powerful woman from the US, Marion Jones, remember her? She was a machine. Her training regime for the Olympics was 100 sit-ups each day. 100 sit-ups each day, amongst other things. She was like a machine. She was powerful. And so she went on to win five Olympic medals. That's heaps. You know, in a swimming pool, you can win five, and it doesn't mean much. But on the field, winning five, that's a lot. And so she went on to win five, three gold and two bronze. But then several years later, what happened? She was found to be a cheat. She took drugs. She cheated. And so she was stripped of her crown. She was stripped of her medals. The one we thought was a champion was, in fact, a cheat. One who cut corners. The the one who's really a loser. And so Paul's telling Timothy here you are to be like an athlete. In your life, as you focus on the gospel, on passing on the gospel to the next generation, You are to be like an athlete. Don't cut corners, Timothy. Don't cheat, Timothy. Now, let's think about that. How do you cut corners in in ministry, in gospel ministry? How could Timothy have cut corners? Well, at this time, in the first century, Christianity was an illegal religion. Christians were persecuted. They were literally burnt at the stakes especially under the Roman Emperor Nero. They were burnt at the stakes. They covered the body in tar and they were used as uh, light lampposts in the the garden. And so Christians were under heavy persecution. And so for Timothy, to cut corners would mean, well, I I don't want to suffer that much. I don't want to suffer like those Christians. I'm going to change the message of the gospel a bit. I'm going to relax it a bit. I'm going to teach heaven is for everyone. Everyone will get to heaven. There's no hell. That's cutting corners, isn't it? He can cut corners by by living a life that's not reflective of what it means to be a Christian. He could just live like everyone else, like the pagans, like the Greeks, the Romans. That's cutting corners. And so Paul is here telling him, don't cut corners. Be like a good athlete. And so verse 5, Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown, Unless he competes according to the rules. Now, finally, the last illustration. Timothy was to be like a farmer. A farmer. Now, why a farmer? Well, that's because farmers are extremely hardworking. We have several people from the country here, I'm sure. Farmers are hardworking. They wake up at the craziest of hours. They work a long day. They sweat a lot. They smell a lot. That's because they work a lot. They're hard workers. And that's because their livelihood dependent on their work. If they didn't work, they, they didn't eat. They don't eat. And so you can understand why TV shows like The Farmer Wants a Wife are so popular. Now, now mentioning that, I'm not saying I watch it, in case you think differently of me. I've never seen a show. I don't intend to watch a show. But you can understand why it's so popular, why women, why ladies will sign up to this show to be embarrassed uh, uh, to seek a husband. Why would they want a husband, a farmer husband? Well, it could be many reasons, can't it? I'm sure there are. It could be desperation or any other reason. But I suspect one of the reasons, is that farmers are hardworking people. And so they have some, uh, they can trust a the farmer. They're hardworking, they will take care of the family. You know, you don't have TV shows. I was thinking about this. You don't have TV shows. Presbyterian minister who is single wants a wife. I'm not single, I'm, so I'm not talking about myself, but you don't have, minister wants a wife, right? Because people know ministers, they just work one day a week. They're not hardworking, right? Yeah, little laugh there. That's not true. And so Paul is here telling Timothy, as he ministers in gospel work, he needs to work hard as a farmer. If he doesn't work hard, there will be no harvest. There will be no fruit. There will be no gospel growth. And so verses six and seven. Paul says, The hard working farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crops. And then Paul goes on to say, Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. And so our passage really revolves around the two exhortations. Stand firm in the gospel, hold on to it, pass it on. And we have here three illustrations be like the soldier. Be like the athlete and be like the farmer as you do this. Quite simple. Two exhortations, three illustrations. Okay? So that's our passage. But now let's think about us today. I mean, this was a personal letter from Paul to Timothy almost 2,000 years ago, and we're still reading it. But why? It's an old letter to an individual. You know, it was written to Timothy to teach about him. How does it apply to us? How does it impact us today? Well, you see, it impacts us in every single way, in the exact same way as it did back then. And you know why? It's because we're in the same situation as Timothy. We're really no different from Timothy in that we too have been entrusted with the gospel. You see, Timothy was entrusted with the gospel, and it was exhorted to do this we have been entrusted with the gospel and we are exhorted to do those same things stand firm in the gospel and to pass it on pass on the baton the gospel went from Paul to timothy to reliable men from generation to generation and now it has been entrusted with us and so today is quite fitting that we think about this especially thinking about our youth group and seeing them run this service to think about the youth ministry of our church, to think and to pray about it as people, as members of this church, as visitors, as parents, as youth leaders, and as the youth yourself, to think and pray about how does this passage impact what we do in youth group. And so what does it mean? Well, well, let me ask you, what do you think youth ministry what, what does it exist for? What's the whole purpose of it? Well, I really hope you've seen today the whole purpose of not only our youth ministry, but our growth groups ministry, our kids' church ministry, our Sunday service ministries. They're all on about this. The core of what we're on about, the centre of what we're on about, the heart of what we're on about is the gospel. We want to see all youth standing firm in the gospel. That means they need to understand it. That means they need to know it. That means they need to believe it. And our passion, our desire, is that we pass on the baton to them, the next generation. And I hope that's what we want. But how do we go about ensuring that that's what we're on about? At church, in our youth group, in our ministries. How do we ensure that that happens? Well, one way... Is that, this might sound as a shock, but one way is for you parents, parents of youth and the church as a whole, to keep me accountable, to keep our youth leaders accountable to the heart of what we're on about, to make sure that we're like the soldier, undistracted, to make sure that we're like the athlete, not cutting corners in ministry, to make sure that we're like the hard working farmers. And so my encouragement is that you as parents, you as a church, make sure, keep us accountable to what is the centre of our focus. Now saying that, it says something about the nature of our youth ministry, doesn't it? If the core of our ministry, of what we're trying to do in youth group, is the gospel, then it says that we don't exist for the sake of fun. I love fun, I'll talk about that in a moment, and we've seen a lot of fun, but that's not our core reason for existence. Our core reason for existence is not entertainment. It is the gospel. And I hope we've seen that today. It is the gospel. Because if youth group, the core of youth group, was for entertainment, or any ministry really, if it's for entertainment, then you don't need a theologically trained person to entertain youth. Anyone can do that. Anyone can do that. And I hope that's not the reason why I'm here. I'm here so that I can teach the gospel. The youth leaders are here so that we can teach the gospel, so that we can nurture gospel growth, so that we can love the youth, so that we can share our lives with them and entrust them with the gospel that we have received. That has to be the center of what we're on about. Now that might sound as a surprise to some of us. It might sound as a surprise. But as a minister, I my primary role is to be a Bible teacher, not an entertainer. But then I must qualify that. Of course we have stacks of fun in youth group. And I'm sure you've seen that from the clips before and the testimonies. Stacks of fun, and we want fun. We want all stacks of fun. And if you think about this year. I thought we had quite a fair bit of fun. My first youth event this year, we had the messy games night, and some leader decided to, well, let's chuck canned tomatoes at the new guy. That was fun, I didn't mind that. In youth group this year, what else have we done? We've made a big fireball, a real fire, in the hall, no damage, no insurance involved. That was fun. I'm not sure if I'm meant to say that, but anyway, that was fun. In youth group this year, we blew up a watermelon. I mean, Hayden and his genius, we blew up a watermelon. It went everywhere, no evidence of it anymore. It was cleaned up well, but but that was great fun. And I want to say, we want fun. We want excitement. We want entertainment. But that does not hold the centre place of what we're on about. And I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that because it's easy to give in to that. It's easy to just have fun. It's easy to just have entertainment. That will be easy because that's attractive. It's attractive to youth. And that's easy if we just did that. But what's hard is teaching the Bible. That is hard work. It's hard work for our youth leaders. It's hard work for us. Because if you think about it, our youth, any youth, who wants to do more study on a Friday night? I certainly don't. It's hard work. Who wants to do more study on a Friday night after a week of study? Personally, I don't. And that's why it's hard work to keep that on the agenda, to keep that as the focus of what we do. It's very easy to give in and say, let's just do fun all the time. We still want fun, but if it's all the time, then I feel like what we've done is we've been like that cheating athlete. We've cutting corners. Cutting corners on what we're really on about here. Cutting corners in gospel ministry. I and mean, if you think about it, and you think about that, if it's just all fun and entertainment, there'll be huge growth in numbers, I'm sure. Huge growth in numbers. But I'm not sure whether there'll be any gospel growth at all. And I've seen this from experience. Several years ago I was involved in a youth group, pretty small youth group, started up. From scratch, five people, and eventually it grew, and it grew, and it only went up to about 20 people. didn't grow any further than that. But the idea of the youth group back then was that we taught the Bible. The youth understood that. They knew that they were coming to learn the Bible, to learn about God, to learn about the gospel. The parents understood that, and they knew that they were sending their kids hoping that they would learn something, not just to have fun. And what's the result of that group? Well, after many years, it hasn't really grown. Still about 20 people. Not much growth in numbers. But I can say there was growth in gospel. There was gospel growth. Four of those people are thinking of entering gospel ministry in the next couple of years, going to Bible college. There was gospel growth. Though there weren't growth in numbers, there was gospel growth. They came out of youth group, being fed, being made firm in the gospel, not just entertained. Numbers don't always mean gospel numbers. And so I want us all to understand today that youth ministry does not exist for the sake of fun. We want fun, we want excitement, we'll work harder than that. But that's not the centre of what we do. That's not the core of our business. if you think about it, if youth ministry was all about that, we'll only be entertaining youth until they find better entertainment. That's all we'll be doing. Entertaining them until they get their license. Entertaining them until they find better things to do. And that's not what we want. And I'm really sure that that's not what you want too. We want our youth group, our kids church ministry, all our ministries to be with people who are bearers of the gospel for their generation. But of course this accountability is not just on the youth leaders is it? It's not just on 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 me as a youth minister. Who else is it on? It's really on all the parents. It's really all on all the youth yourself. It's on this church. We need to keep all of us accountable to this because if this is what we want people firm in the gospel people passing on the gospel then it needs to be all that we want and so let me say first here a word to parents now I'm going to say this as a parent myself so I don't have it right I don't have it all right or all sorted out but let me say this for parents this this must be what we want for our kids isn't it This has to be the thing we want for our kids, that they stand firm in the gospel and that they are bearers of the gospel in their generation. That has to be top priority. I'm thinking at the moment for my daughter. She's just started school. She's still young. And obviously, she's going to have lots of stress later on with studies and career and uni. But I'm thinking at the moment, and I hope it stays that way. I pray that it stays that way, that I'm more concerned about her faith and her walk in Christ then what she'll do for Korea. And I wanted to encourage all of us to think that way. And it means thinking about priorities. It means taking opportunities to teach about priorities with our youth. Korea studies, they're very important. But they cannot take centre place. And that's what I'm teaching myself. So I'm not saying this as though I have it all sorted out. I have to remind myself that that must be the case for My kids. But not only that. Passing the baton to the next generation doesn't begin in church; it actually begins at home. That's where it begins. Now, a word to the youth. I've actually looked through the survey that we did on Friday, and I'm actually very encouraged. My first question was, "What do you think youth group was about?" And, and, and most of you really said what I've been saying today: it's on about the gospel. And that's what I've heard and seen, and I'm encouraged by that. I'm really encouraged by that. But I must remind us, Bible study is hard. It's hard work, especially on a Friday night. But it's meant to be, you see. It's meant to be hard work. Because if you are to be solid in what you believe, if you are to be entrusted with the gospel, you have to take that seriously. You have to take that seriously. You have to be committed to that. Even if the fun is not there, it's just a bit like when I was studying engineering years ago. Engineering, great course, love it, love the subjects. But some of those subjects, they were dead boring. In the class, I was thinking, "Kill me now! <laughs> so boring! Stab me in the eye! Wake me up!" But I knew that I knew in my heart that if I were to be a good engineer, I had to be committed to it to attend classes and not skip it, to put in the effort, to learn, to grow, to understand. How much more when it comes to the things of life and death? It will be hard work. So I'm hoping that it won't be that hard, but it will be. I'm just being realistic. You need to be committed to it. Fun there or not, you have to be committed to it. And so I want us to all come with right expectations about what we do at church and right expectations. And as youth leaders, we want to say we want to work as hard as we can, as hard as we can, do our best to serve you, to teach you, to love you, to care for you, and to have lots of fun with you. We are committed to that, and that is what we want to do. Now for the rest of us, the church. Visitors, we'd love for you to come to this church because it's a gospel church. We're on about the gospel. We're on about seeing people saved. But for the rest of us, if this is what we are on about at this church, standing firm in the gospel and entrusting it to the next generation, then let's make sure that we don't drop the baton in this generation, that we're not the one to drop the ball. Instead, let us make sure, let us make sure that we're like that SAS soldier, that we're like that athlete, that we are like that hard-working farmer. Let us not be distracted from the core of our business. Let us not cut corners in what we do. Let us not be lazy. Be lazy at passing the baton of the gospel. Now, we heard before, John's been about 40 years. I'm just thinking 40 years from now, what will this church look like? Who will be the leaders? Well, it's really my hope and prayer will be The leaders of this church will be sort of the kids of our youth because the gospel has gone from one generation to the next. And with God's help, with God's help, I think we can do this. Amen.